I'm getting, I'm getting a huge delay on Oliver. What? Yeah, I'm getting a really big delay on Oliver as well. Full two seconds. I thought that was just because I was high. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Friend Sim. Friend Sim episode 420. 420. <laughs> It is not 420. We missed that holiday. It's 420 somewhere. Uh, we also we also missed 710, which is apparently another stoner <laughs> holiday because if you type 710 into a TI-83 calculator, or no, one of the older <laughs> calculators, and turn it upside down, it spells oil, which because uh, I guess people people like to smoke oil. That one's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I'm going to start smoking now because I thought we would Dude, smoke... Wait together on the call but you got i'm gonna try to get on you guys level right now all right y'all y'all smoking uh y'all smoke, smoking smoke. indigo or saliva <laughs> indie couch i they all feel different to me i don't even believe in strains it's oh, all the same shit. shit yeah weed is weed i believe in sativa versus indica but i don't believe like that there's like 40 different they're not that different other than that in my opinion. yeah i feel like they were <laughs> that different for one guy one guy named wesley who just decided to <laughs> Keep track of that and think it applied to everyone. And he was Wesley like, Snipes. Really? Yeah. Wesley Snipes? That's that was him. Well, I'm told that it's actually <laughs> it actually describes different phenotypes of the plant. It's different shapes of the leaf. And it originally oh, yeah. had nothing to do with the feeling that it induces. And that was all just kind of like post-rationalized anecdotally. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Anecdotally. That's a funny right. word sounding. Get ready for a lot of funny words. If you look at the indica plant, it's like short and really dark green. If you look at the sativa plant, it's like a lot taller and light green and it has a lot more um, crystals on it. There's more little hairs too on one of them. My uh, my brother made his own strain and he was pointing oh. out that it had little hairs on it. Because Mancini it was magic. Mancini magic. Oh. Yeah, I had some when I was back in Colorado over Christmas break and... Mm. I started smoking it and then compulsively started buying scuba gear on Amazon. <laughs> okay, check this out, Dan. I just sent you a, a uh, link for the indica versus sativa plant. Um, the indica plant looks like a two-foot little bush, and the sativa plant looks like a tree in comparison. It's like yeah. twice as tall and a lot Long thinner. Long, like slender. It's funny because the personality of the plant kind of matches the high that you get from... Short and bushy. I've got a real short, bushy high right short now. Short and bushy. Just short and bushy. The indica looks kind of like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. <laughs> That's actually what it was in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. That's why Charlie Brown's it was so a little... uh, lethargic and demure all the time. He's stoned. <laughs> it makes sense. Charlie Green. So, Dan, just to warn you, we only have like... Mm. 30 or 40 minutes. We've got to get to the showing by 10. Yeah, what is this? You guys are going to the 20th anniversary? Uh, so make sure. Yeah. I wish you could see us right now. I'm literally uh, got double-sided tape. We're using it to put like ports on me. With, <laughs> as, and I'm like in like a real world, you know, Matrix. When we woke up in the Matrix, got like, you know, just unplugged. And I yes. got my ports. So not, I, a, yeah, yeah. not a genuine child of Zion. I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes. Unplugged. It it's, looks legit. That's hilarious. Are you wearing your mom's uh, trench coat? Oliver's. <laughs> that's what I'm wearing. You're wearing yeah. the trench coat, it's the famous trench appearance. coat? Yeah, the famous one. Love that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what I, I've always wanted to do? Like, back in the day, we did uh, the cultural appropriation ghost twins with the with the dreadlocks. What'd you say? What'd you it say cut we, out. we missed it. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> anyway, right. th- anyway, that was that's the best sentence I've ever said. <laughs> we missed it again. I it's didn't hear. Uh, no, I was saying it'd be a, a really fun costume. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Dan, you you spanking the it. twins. The twins. Us. That's the best costume from oh, the, the Matrix. Twins. You're right. They're kind. Ca- yeah. they the like, twins. They're white face. They're kind of yeah. like weird. The cultural Man, appropriation twins. <laughs> the cultural. Yeah, those guys are pretty cool. I haven't watched the yeah. second no, one they're in just, so long. They're just albino black dudes. No, they're racist somehow. Are they albino oh, black dudes? Really? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> just albino black dudes. It must dudes. be. <laughs> oh, you you basically win the early 2000s if you're those albino twins. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They must have just lived it up. Yeah. Yeah, these dudes back. Yeah, me and Oliver were sitting in my driveway earlier, like grinding uh, this like Zion shirt to have more holes in it. So like nice. <laughs> so it wouldn't like a real tear, stringy but, like, sweater. Know. Oh, never mind. They are white dudes. 
They look like Norwegian or something. <laughs> I, I no, don't but know. they're they're transracial they because transcended race. Because yeah. everyone in the Matrix universe is some type of trans something. That was something the Wachowskis wrote in. Yeah. Right, Jimmy. You were telling me that like originally they wanted different actors that looked like more uh, masculine and femme versions of the same person because their residual self image in the Matrix was more feminine oh, or something. Oh, cool. That's right. Like androgynous. That, and that was like a commentary on yeah on gender just. Dysphoria? Uh, cool. Dysmorphia? Dysphoria. Oh, Gender dysphoria? Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any topics they want to bring up? I got some ta topics. Bring it up. Topic number one Jeffrey Epstein. Was he murdered? Yes, oh. absolutely. We all know this. Yes, 100%. Thank you. Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> he, that guy has so many tentacles and weird connections to people who probably want him dead. I'm sure the way it happened was probably like some one of those weird tentacles you can never know about. Got more more tentacles than a Japanese. So I read the list of people who went on the Lolita Express. Yeah, the flight logs. And there was like hundreds. I recognized a lot of famous actors. I didn't get through it. It took. It was that big of a book, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it got me wondering, like. All these people are obviously not pedophiles, right? Like some of them went there to do bad shit and some of them are just riding on it for the social component, right? Or is that, what are they saying about it? Because this is a lot of people implicated right now. That's true. I'm not sure the difference between the flight logs, if the Lolita Express means that there were like underage girls on the plane every time. Because yeah. I know like sometimes they said the, the pilot was like a third party who may or may not have been involved. And like he was kind of renting the jet from him, so it was kind of like not every time. Uh -huh. I also know that like the he was really good at just schmoozing and getting people's phone numbers, and he had like a lot of people in his phone book. But that's not the flight log. Yeah. You know? What do you think? Murked out. Most definitely murked. See, that's the thing. Like yeah. what you're saying is true. The list is so far-reaching. Like I don't think like Stephen Hawking was on the flight at some point. I can't picture Stephen Hawking diddling kids from his uh, electric chair. Although he's a little bit of a sex fiend. Stephen Hawking got a handjob from a nurse. He, he cheated on his wife with a, one of Shit. his care, oh. caretakers. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Power corrupts, man. Yeah. Power corrupts. <laughs> Even that Stephen power chair. Yeah, dude. I think that's the message, right? Just no matter. It's like that show that just came out on HBO, The Boys. Yes. They get, they get all these superpowers, and now all of a sudden, they're all assholes. They're right. corrupt. It's in a nutshell. It's what if the Avengers were assholes? I don't know. Do you guys think power corrupts, or, or what were you gonna say? Oh, let's go with your topic, Dan. I want to hear more of what you're gonna say before I go on a tangent. So you, how you were saying, there's so many people on the list. It's like all these people are all these people pedophiles. Yeah. And I had the same thought, but then I think what really made it not a 9/11 scale event was when he finally got got. It was like, okay, yeah, all these people are implicated, like literally everyone in power, the Clinton family, the Trump family, yeah, the royal family. Yeah. Like the day after the documents were released that implicated all these people, he commits a quote unquote suicide in prison. That was the moment where it was like, oh, okay, the powers that be Nixed him. They got him. They got he him. got his ass. He's done. It makes you wonder what else he was sitting on. Like if you knew everything, how much it would, how much it would be. Mm -hmm. It's kind of disillusioning for me because like when you get fame and celebrity and power, I noticed that those people are a little weird and I just didn't know what was quite wrong with them. It like kind of hit me over the head like, duh, why didn't I think of that? Obviously, they use their power to exploit younger women. If you look deeply into the worst parts of the human psyche, I feel like that's what they look for. Because they had nothing else holding on them out of the worst parts of the human psyche, because they had such great adulation and such great personal self-actualization and like a creative field, it kind of gives them the opportunity to go to the dark side as much as they went light. That sounds woo-woo, but mm -hmm. there is something... To be said that they're more at risk for being put in a place where they can go that dark. Because most people don't even have the opportunity to go that dark. I don't know if power corrupts or if it reveals or maybe yeah. a combination of both. But I feel like people who tend to be in the spotlight, they might be like more self-centered. And if you're going to the zenith of power with a self-centered attitude, you're just going to indulge on that self-centeredness and become like a pedo probably out of existential boredom. Yeah. Well, saying power corrupts could be kind of putting the cart before the horse. I heard recently that Stanley Kubrick believed and told Nicole Kidman on the set of Eyes Wide Shut that the entire world is run by Satanist pedophiles wow. uh, because shared secrets reach a critical mass where like, okay, all these different people have compromise on one another. They all are aware of some yeah. unseemly thing that they did. And that forms kind of a bond. 
And then it's like you get enough of those people together and it forms a critical mass where in order to reach a certain level of power in society, you have to, as a demonstration of mutual culpability, you have to do these evil things almost as an initiation. Oh my God, you're right. Forgot about that part. That's so true, man. Because I can't picture, I mean, I don't know. You think Hillary Clinton likes fucking kids? No. Hillary Clinton eats babies, but I can't see her having the political expedience and amorality to be like, well, I've got to do it to be one of the boys. Yeah. Wow. That's that's fucking intense, man. I've, I've heard of that, too. That's similar to like the Russian you know, theory with what they have on Trump or whatever, where it's like they send a prostitute to his room. And if he does anything, then they film it all and then they blackmail him after the fact. And, yeah. you know, yeah, just from that one act. Now he's compromised, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's where people think all Epstein's money came from. It was all like a deep state operation to get footage of people in power doing things so that they can control them. A lot of people believe that he was Mossad. What? Uh, people believe that, that he was Mossad, like Israeli intelligence. People believe that he was CIA. I see. Yeah. Because he has this huge fortune that just kind of came out of nowhere. He He's like a financier hedge fund manager or something but there's no real like yeah. nobody he, can point to any source or or actual like product or uh, investment that this money's coming from i feel like when you're a good old-fashioned sociopath you can just <laughs> climb your way up that business area yeah didn't you also talk about how you want to like repopulate the world with his his children his offspring or something too? yeah that's so crazy yeah, that's the other thing he has these like dumb dumb ideas yeah that make it seem more like I, this guy like he doesn't seem like the type to make a ton of money on his own merit. This isn't, you know, meritocracy. No, yeah. He's the guy who just rubs shoulders with the right people and then sm- yeah. schmoozes his way into somewhere. And, yeah. you know, and then he's just like the craziest guy at the ro- in the in the room in a way that people were like, wow, this guy's loco. Like, if they either love her <laughs> or I'm scared of this guy. You yeah. Know? And then it's like, yeah. Or somewhere in between. Shit. Uh, another name on the flight logs. Me Too magician David Blaine. David Blaine. Yeah, I remember that one. David Blaine was there. Yeah. Well, he's just everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> right. Just outside of time and space. I can see that. No, but every time I saw the every, every time I saw a name on the list, I look at them mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that guy is kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, if you think about it, like a lot right. of the roles that they played, yeah. like it made sense. Like, I didn't see somebody on the list that I was like, what? You know, I was like, no, that guy I, is a fucking asshole. I wonder who, I don't know any of the celebrities that were on let's, that list. Let's just look at a list of them right now. Chris Tucker was the biggest, who? like, that one. I was like, what? Chris Tucker. If it was Chris Rock, I would have been surprised. Oh, the, the Rush Hour guy. Chris, now, Chris Tucker's a yes, weirdo, Chris dude. Tucker, Chris He's Tucker. He's a weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recently watched Rush Hour, and that didn't age particularly well. Hasn't aged very well, That's, no. a, that's a, a lot of, Rush a Hour lot of Ching Chong type jokes. Self is that one producer who got Me too Shit. Oh, you're talking about... um. God damn it. I'm too high. I'm too high for this. I can't remember names. Uh, Brian Singer. You're talking about Brian Singer? I don't think so. When you see like a husband and his wife on that list, it makes you think, okay, so they were they were there because of like some kind of political power implication, not because they're doing nefarious deeds. Just part of the part of the Yeah, oh, Brett Ratner. Ratner. That's the guy you're thinking of. Okay, but Brett Ratner was also involved in the X-Men franchise. Along with Brian Singer, who's like the big Hollywood pedophile, the Hollywood boy abuser. I was gonna say I could easily see him uh, if he's if Chris Tucker's in that list. I could definitely see Brett yeah. Ratner in there. I keep picturing okay. Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod from The Fifth Element. Oh yeah, sliding onto the Lolita Express. Oh no! Oh my God! Hello! <laughs> Unbelievable! Wither, ladies, wither! Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> like microphone king oh geez so extra so are we gonna get the guillotines or what guys you'd think this would be it you know i before he got murdered i was like this is gonna be the case that uh snowballs the revolution i think it's a huge change it signifies basically the general public something i was reading on reddit actually is like what does this mean for our society right it's like the general public is no longer thinks that these things are conspiracies anymore they're thinking oh no this is actually happening like Anybody can see it now. It's not like a, just a conspiracy theorist pointing out, hey, look at this, look at that. Mm-hmm. Now it's like a good majority of the population is saying, well, this is... I think I'm up. worried, though, that it might be... I agree with all that, but I I, I wish there, I wish it was even clearer because it's like there's just so many things and so many implications and so many... Like It's hard to narrow down where, you, where to put the anger and where to put the action and, and the reaction yes. from this and like know what to do. Ah. And in the collective sense, you know, like how does the public 
know like where to go or like what to i mean it's definitely a change but i i wish that there was a clear like, way forward out of this it just feels kind of like it's almost like confirmation that yeah, stuff dude. is happening but you don't actually know what it is yet you just kind of have a vague yeah. idea of that's how it of, felt for like the panama papers mm-hmm. but for this i think it's different i gotta well, say I feel, I still, go ahead go ahead i feel like most people don't know what this jeffrey epstein is if you ask the average person on the street they still don't really know it hasn't yeah, made it that true. way to like true. you know and i could see it fading into the background really quickly both obviously by design because of the way that journalistic media works but also just because of like the fatigue of trying to process something with implications that big it's like a lot of people are just like well that's crazy but yeah i don't really know what to do with that information and there's nothing i can do but go back to my go back about my day dan i gotta disagree okay so when you go to jail for example what is the one thing that they do not forgive as your fellow inmate. It's pedophilia. You're hurting children, they will yeah. Kill, they will fuck you up. Because there's something about yeah. our unconscious, like Tramo. as a tribal, like deep in our brain, that hits us emotionally when you hear about that kind of shit. A defensive, like, urge in your heart. And I don't yeah. think it's too much yeah, to process. It, it upsets the, the neoteny reaction. It's not like, oh, that guy's got too much money. You kind of, like, deal with that, you know, a little bit. But when you hear yeah. it, something like that, if you put a mental note in your head, like people will see you like Chris Tucker and they'll say, hey, what the fuck happened, man? You know, instead of saying, oh, it's Chris Tucker. <laughs> people are going to like be yeah. aggressive towards him. And to me, that's the start of a movement. Like when you start to actually have aggression, that's when the movement becomes real. I don't see any aggression. Though. Not yet. We're still processing it. It's over. I mean, it's kind of moment's kind of past now. I don't it would think so, man. I think it's like deep in our unconscious, like processing. Like they still have to do the trial. That's going to take years. I get what you're saying, but I just feel like that reality hasn't set in for people yet they're still kind of lost in the minutia of all of the noise and like i agree with dan a lot actually because this is like the age of conspiracy theories everyone's got a fun conspiracy theory that they throw out there that sounds kind of crazy you know anything from flat earth to like chemtrails and all that stuff yeah and i just feel like in the age of conspiracy theories that place almost it sounds so much like a conspiracy theory it sounds so much like flat earth because it is a literal conspiracy yeah theory or not it's about a, an enormous conspiracy it, yeah i mean it has enough going for it evidence wise and you know anecdote wise that it seems like it has some weight but like to the average person i feel like they can't make sense of it compared to the other conspiracy theories out there yeah and i, I feel like everyone's inundated with like too much information and too much shock going on right now we're just kind of like numb yeah and the thing is this is all coming to a head in an era where truth as a concept as an axiom you know is starting to not exist anymore like yeah it's a post-truth era because it's so easy to manufacture information there's so much noise the signal to noise ratio for verifiable information is is to that point where say there's like a a videotape like that kanye west video of a bunch of celebrities having an orgy you know with uh with underage children in the mix you know say there's some like something like that out at this point you know if if a video came out of of hillary clinton eating a baby while trump and stephen hawking and are in the background eiffel towering a 16 year old whatever yeah they, at this point they'd say well deep fakes these days are a crazy yeah you can do some crazy things with deep fakes yes so we're at that point and the and the funniest thing is like right after the epstein stuff started to reach a breaking point all these different publications started releasing articles about deep fakes warning about oh you got to watch out for deep fakes you can't That's trust true. anything nowadays i noticed that it's almost like they're bracing for something to come out yeah i noticed that actually that's, that's a good so point that's a good point. And I can tend to be kind of optimistic about these things. But I think there's a reason why you go to jail. And if you're if you're a thief, a murderer, even a rapist, to some extent. Yeah. You're talking, you're talking people, about jail people, culture, people don't right? people don't fuck with you. We don't prison, care about prison people culture. Don't, the average person hasn't gone to jail. No, I yeah. know. But we're all the same people. People who go no, to jail I, all act the I same way. I feel like when you're in reason. the jail, you live in jail world. And there's a hierarchy to jail world. And pedophilia is the bottom. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's not necessarily for any other reason than Prison. just to have a social packing order. I feel like they feel like it's justified. They probably uh, have some like, oh, well, you know, uh, Romeo and Juliet, she was 13. Oh, right? it's just a, And definitely. they have like, they justify yeah. it to themselves and they say like, well, that's like the most fertile age girls are. And you like, know they rationalize it. Why do they look so nice then or something stupid like that, you know? <laughs> like, um, Or, you know, you get the ephebophilia defense. Well, it's not pedophilia, it's ephebophilia. What is that That's one? It's like, you know, the term ephebophilia specifies post-pubescent underage. Oh, like 13 to 16. As opposed to a prepubescent child. Yeah. It's definitely, I don't think Chris Tucker is like a prison style pedophile with like a mustache and weird 80s glasses, you know? 
that kind of a guy. What does prison style mean? <laughs> like in the hierarchy, I mean, where they get shit on a lot. I think he thinks he has a different opinion of what constitutes underage and overage. And he's like justifying it that way. Sure. I agree with that. It's definitely uh, well, something. We modeled the entire, you know, the Republic after the Greeks, uh, after Greek democracy. Yeah. And uh, who's more notorious for, for diddling than the ancient Greeks? Right? They're just pushing boundaries. And the, the, the Romans, uh, they did fall after these things started to happen more and more. Like Rome did fall shortly after that. And I think it has to do with the fact that you get really defensive over your kids. Like parents, a lot of people become parents in this world and you start to get defensive. It's like, what are you going to stand up for in this world? A lot of people will, they won't say much except for their kids. Like they'll agree on that. We can all agree on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's a biological imperative. Yeah, they definitely. That's why they, yeah, that's like, why they think of the children. Think of the children. Such, such an effective logical fallacy. Yeah, folks, think of the children. And while prison culture is very different to me, I think it's more just like a uh, simplified version. It's not different so much as it is just simpler. Like you basically have like you know your three meals a day, and you go to sleep, and then you develop your hierarchy. But we have cut. we have our hierarchies out here too. They're just kind of a little bit more complicated. But I think the fundamentals are the same. You look at a rich person. Someone who idolizes and looks at their magazines might be less inclined to pick that shit up. They just see them as a lower, as lower now that you hear about these things coming out. You start to look at them a different way. Like, oh, they, maybe they are sicker than me, not higher than me. And when you just abolish that hierarchy, people feel like they have power and then they can rise up. Like, I'm stronger than yeah. those CEOs. They're weak. They got to prey on kids. They must be yeah. pretty weak. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. When you realize the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. And he has no clothes because he's having sex with minors it kind of abolishes the whole illusion of like oh they're just better than me you know that's why they get more money yeah yeah that's why it was so shocking when he got got because it was like even before that happened everybody was like oh joking like yeah the the clintons are gonna get him uh the clinton crime family you know but yeah then so we're all like like expecting it to happen but almost to the point that it's like there's no way they could actually kill him because that would be showing their hands so much it would be showing that those in power can do whatever they want and have no accountability and that's what was so shocking about it. It felt so brazen. It was like, pick whatever name you want from from the list of people implicated. It was like, those in power yeah. know that we know that they know they can do whatever they want. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a really good point. Like, they're disrespecting the laws so much, but why should we respect the laws? Like, that's the that's what a kindergartner would say, standing next to his sister, right? Who's, who doesn't have to go to bed at nine o'clock. Say, why, why, don't, why do I have to go to bed at nine o'clock? Like, that's a fundamental for us. Like, we look at it like, I follow these laws every single day. If I want to actually revolt, I have to break the laws. Right. It offers us the ability to maybe think outside that box. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just being optimistic, though. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that think that it still all happened by design because it does seem to be diffusing what would have been kind of a catastrophic class consciousness if this actually went to trial and all these people were implicated directly instead of yeah. conjecturally. Right. Yeah. There's this term from Watergate called the limited hangout, okay. which is basically the way they responded to Watergate. Um, you reveal just enough that it sort of gives people something to talk about, trickle out the details, but you spin it in just the right way where there's nothing really directly actionable. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking, too. Directly actionable is where I feel like it stops. Never, it never took shape enough. The nature of the crimes and exactly what happened. It was almost there, but it just stopped short, you know? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, I definitely want more of a reaction, but sort of as a testament to the, like, I don't know, maybe the inaction, the lethargy or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Of just people in general and just kind of apathy. Like they just see it in their Instagram feed and just keep scrolling. And oh, oh look, next person is at a concert, you know? Yeah. Well, that's exactly the problem is the, is the apathy, right? That's what prevented us from doing anything the last four or five times this has happened. Well, but, I, th- I think but, the apathy is there because there's no direct group effort or target for us it's to do pretty after. clear this time there's a list of people with names yeah but what do you do with there's so many names i mean i'm sure chris tucker's gonna hear it and he'll probably stop and they'll be it'll probably sway people like him from doing it more not to mention everybody but from the me too no movement. one's gonna march on this i don't think i'm not talking about marching there has to be a target for a response you know yeah there has to be a target what do you think that target is i'm not condoning this <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm not condoning, like, attacking people, I'm but I'm saying, saying that's, what, that's what that's what people yeah. do in these situations. I'm just trying to be realistic here. Like, yeah. That's what people do in these situations. When they, they have a list of people who are potentially sexual predators, what do you think? I mean, like, if this was a movie, what do you think would happen? 
Well, you know I, mean? I feel like the apathy is also kind of called for because it's like you have a guy who got arrested and he's killed in jail. Like, so, I mean, what hope is there for justice if the Justice Department and that whole system can't even properly prosecute and keep one guy who's so important to all these crimes away from trouble and stuff? You know, it's like it just, you just kind of lose hope in the whole system to keep itself in check. You know, well, that's what I'm trying to say is that the way human psychology works, you get you basically don't care about anything right until you hit a breaking point and you find one limit like your boundary right they call it the straw that broke the camel's back like let's say you're in an abusive relationship he can do all these things to you every day all these different ways he can treat you like shit or she right she could they could treat you like shit be overly controlling they can but then one day they fucking cheat on you yeah and that's it it's the straw that broke camel's back you finally decide to break up with them that's the way humans who are apathetic i see what you're saying yeah i feel like there's there's a quote that I don't know who said it. It might have been Lennon or something, but it was like, there are decades where nothing happens. And then there are weeks where decades happen. Yeah. So you're waiting oh, for the, those weeks like when the decades that. happen. But I'm just yeah. saying like, also consider the lobster, you know, <laughs> in the pot boiling, you know, if, if you start it lukewarm and then boil it slowly, it doesn't jump out or no. This is an idea. Ideas don't die. Lobster dies and then it's over. We're a whole people. Like they need us to stay alive. You know, we're a group of people. I like, agree. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know if this is the, that make or break moment that breaks the camel's back. We'll see. Well, think back to Occupy. We weren't mad enough yet. Occupy was way too early. We weren't mad enough yet. Exactly. Exactly. I believe by design, maybe via media, these intentional pressure release valves are activated at certain points to keep us from that breaking point. Occupy yeah, was exactly. had all the right ideas uh, as far as their message went, but it, in the same way, did not have any actionable yeah. direct target. It didn't have a list of clear demands. Occupy didn't really know what it wanted. Definitely. And so it kind of was us blowing our collective load as you know an aggravated whatever working class and just kind of went away after that. A lot of people believe Occupy also was sort of accelerated by design because, you know, Occupy originally came from Anonymous, which came out of 4chan. And one of these members of Anonymous, who basically furnished the beginnings of the Occupy movement, later was revealed to be an undercover FBI agent, or he was turned, he was uh, an informant for the FBI, during the time that he was furnishing the seeds of Occupy. It was a hacker named Sabu, that was his handle, Hector Monsegur. That's on record that he did that. So you could really make the argument that Occupy was you know, an FBI PSYOP and operated as a pressure release valve for class unrest, social unrest. The way you're speaking about not just the Occupy movement, I guess the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing, it's like I agree with you like 90%, but like 10% of me thinks that like you, you think there's more consciousness involved in these decisions than there actually are. Like, how do you think revolutions actually happen in, in situations like this? What, what happens to people like to make them actually revolt? Like, you know, how, th how bad do things have to get? It's the point when surplus profit is separated far enough from labor that people don't stand for it anymore. And that's how it's happened at different points in history in the okay. past. But we've, ne yeah, we've never quite reached that point in America. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that he did that. Um, I'm more just wondering the implications of it and like what that would mean. Maybe recontextualizing that history of anonymous, like you're saying. Sure, sure. Because... It seems weird they would initiate something like that instead of like trying to diffuse something that someone else was starting, you know, and they were like, oh, look at this guy making noise over here. We should go mess with it a little bit. It seems weird to like purposefully think about it as, you know, preemptively going to be a pressure release valve going into it because sometimes those things get out of hand. You know, it's kind of hard to predict mm -hmm. and it would seem too dangerous to start a spark and not knowing exactly where that fire would go. Well, that is the MO of the FBI, too, though, like on a more granular level. That's what they do in recent history. There's a lot of record of them taking this accelerationist approach that kind of borders on entrapment, morally speaking, ethically speaking, hmm. where they'll, you know, troll message boards and they'll find people that seem like they can be radicalized and then they'll fund them, they'll give them weapons, they'll organize a whole, you know, uh, actual terrorist attack for this per person to perpetrate and then they'll stop them before they do it. And prosecute them. And prosecute them. And this has been happening in a lot of cases. They're targeting mentally ill people. They target a lot of mentally ill uh, Muslim citizens oh, and yeah. then try to convince them to 
to do a terrorism. I see what you're saying. It's like a sting. They're doing like really elaborate stings. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're, they're finding it where it already exists. More That seems like a pretty big difference than like starting a whole movement. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. on a larger scale. But if the movement's already yeah. there, if the beginnings of it are there, that's what I'm saying. rather I feel like than the let it... are probably already there. I feel like um, trying to control something this big is impossible. And they might try. They'll try all kinds of things. This is just the momentum of American capitalism, where it's gone, where it's headed. Like everybody knows what the answer is. Like we can make, we can pretend like there's dystopias where this goes crazy into hyper capitalism. But those always break down for me when I try to think about it logically, about the, uh, the daily pains and hassles of people. There would have to be like a mass death or something where most people die off somehow. Or I think in order for them to have a kind of like really crazy income inequality where it's like people in slums and then like glass towers. I don't think we'll ever get totally to that point. But maybe if it goes slow enough, we would, you know, if it was gradual enough, it would change. Then but, that's hard to imagine. But that's never happened in history. You got to look at history and how many times... Have we gone through this cycle in history and you think this is going to be different somehow? It is going to be different in a lot of ways. Revolutions have happened in history before. People have gotten too much power before and then the people have risen up several times already. And for some reason, we think that this time is going to be different just because we have different technology. But each each time it happened, there was different technology. They had drastically different technology during the Roman Revolution than they did during the French Revolution. Sure. Right. It really doesn't matter. It's about the people. Okay. It's about the motivations of the people. Like we're a lot more powerful than we think we are. I I like the sound of that. I mean, I would add the caveat that, you know, the technological difference between the Roman Empire and the French Revolution is probably less than the technological difference between the 1990s and present day. But look, look at how impossible it was to win the war in Iraq. All they had was AK-47s. And, you know, a few a few uh, IUDs or whatever. And they, they held off an entire U.S. Army. So you don't think, like, yeah. Americans are strong enough to do that? Yeah, it's asymmetric warfare. I don't know if it would come to that point. Soon, I think the biggest wanna... weapon they probably have is just unlimited amusement and entertainment and distraction. That's you know? right. Bread and circuses. What is it? What, what is it again? Bread and circuses. That's a good expression. Did you guys want to do your closing statements? Because we got to go. Yeah, we might actually have to peace out before closing statements. Oh, like right now? Okay, yeah, if you guys are going to gonna be late go ahead we're gonna be late sorry dan pick this up another time sorry it took us so long to get our shit together no worries i had to glue buttons on me we'll send you pictures <laughs> yeah send me pictures yeah okay love you brother love you too we could continue this potentially after maybe. yeah after we should do it yeah i'm if, down if you're yeah. still awake yeah let's do it all right okay. cool man see ya Matrix. Matrix. Yeah, we were watching The Matrix and it was ridiculously loud. It was so loud I had to like plug my ears for all the high parts. I was like, what is going on in here? <laughs> it was it was like a theater as big as a football field. That sounds like hyperbole. Like. But I have no problem imagining you in the theater with being the only person in the theater with your fingers in your ears. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like theaters were because were, I think they had the rumble seats too. Okay. Which just added to it. It could have just been like crazy bass. Yeah, that's what I think it was. I feel like they were trying to. Because just... I heard you say rumble seats, I thought you were joking. <laughs> no, they were. I think they were legit, legit rumble seats. I think it's like a theater. Like kind of, it's like a marketing ploy, you know, like get people back in the theater. Come in the seat. Come, come in the seat. <laughs> yeah. They're going Yo. for that original uh, porn theater market. Oh, from the yeah. The good old days. Speaking of, have you ever watched uh, Scorsese's, nice. one of his early films, like Taxi Driver? Or whatever. I was just watching Taxi Driver. Yeah. Oh, really? Is that why you thought of it? Was yeah. it primed? It goes into like this seedy porn theater. Yeah, that's probably why. I just love how um, like unsympathetic the lead guy is in that. Like he tries to take his date to like a porn show, and he's like, "What's wrong? It's normal." Yeah. Well, I only watched half of it, so no spoilers. Oh, I thought you watched it. Um. I mean, that's like halfway I through it. it still. You didn't watch him turn into like a vigilante? No, not yet. It's a very based movie, you could say. Uh, he, he like gets off on shooting minorities. The original incel. And taking girls oh, yeah, to porn he? flicks. It's like, yeah, he's, like right. the, he's like the OG, a guy, like a trench coat. Incel. Uh, yeah, incel. He's totally like the OG incel. Shooter, exactly. Yeah. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. 
I'm horny and I can't fuck, so I'm, I'm gonna, gonna shoot, shoot people, people up because and yeah, it's like really. But they, they try to do it in like a, like he's really cool. Like they're they're trying to make yeah. him seem cool. Whoops. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm psyched to see a lot more diversity in school shootings lately, in mass shootings lately. Representation is important, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wait, has there been? I yeah, well, you know, the, like the Virginia Tech shooter was Asian. The Orlando shooter was gay and Muslim. That's intersectionality. The Boston bomber was Muslim. And the YouTube shooter, first mm. uh, first female mass shooter. Mm. Oh, yeah, the show what? YouTube headquarters yeah. or something? No, I... Yeah. yeah. Is that... Yeah, have you seen her YouTube videos? They are nuts. Bet. Uh-oh. Very strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No casualties, though. <laughs> first first female shooter, no, not to sound sexist, hey, but could have done better. Jeez. Yeah. Did you hear HN got shut down? Yeah, I did. What do you think about that? Probably for the best, but it's, I mean, they'll just congregate somewhere else. Yeah. But there's this paranoia on 4chan that they they call them glows, like G-L-O-W, oh, yeah. um, that are basically like, they believe it's like deep deep state operatives or like... FBI agents mm. who pose as fellow based oh. incels and uh, try to entrap them into doing domestic terrorism. Yeah, oh, okay. It seems like you'd have to do a lot more than just making another site called 8Jam <laughs> and going there <laughs> to think you can get away with it. All right, we got, we got to throw them off our scent. <laughs> We're safe now. How about 5Chan? <laughs> okay, they caught up with a 6Chan. What's next? They'll never catch on with that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Twice the Chan. There's a new Matrix. Yeah, Matrix. Gonna be in Matrix now. Four. Fuck yeah! Did you see? Did you see someone uh, deep faked Will Smith's face uh, on Neo's body to? No. Like you know, because Neo. I think he was supposed to be the Neo originally, and he, he turned was, it down yeah. or something. Yeah. Wow, that's digital blackface. Digital <laughs> blackface. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> deep fakes are hilarious. I've been I've been collecting the funniest ones i've got a full oh one. yeah yeah they're very funny and there's also I, I don't know if we mentioned this last time when we were getting into the the epstein discussion but as soon as that whole thing came out yeah uh and a lot of people were implicated yeah. all these uh publications online started pushing articles about like watch out for deep fakes you can't trust anything oh, I see yeah. what you're, saying. you're talking yeah. about this bloomberg put out like five articles you can't about trust deep evidence yeah. anymore now yeah, yeah. It's and they can blame seems... it on deepfakes now. Yeah. And people are so, um, they, they just don't believe anything these days, you know. They don't believe their doctors, like vaccines and science. And so it'd be pretty easy to target yeah. that audience and just say, you know, well, that was actually fake. You know, you might have had a video of me doing this, but that's a really good prediction, Dan. I like that. Um, We're in the age of, of attitude, not facts anymore. It's just about definitely post fact. Yeah, I was having this debate with some friends the other day because I saw a bumper sticker. There was I a resist that. bumper sticker. You know that resist. That, uh, yeah, yeah. Liberal mantra, and, uh, and then right next to it was one that says facts matter. And I couldn't help but think, no, they really don't anymore. If only. Well, they should. Is the whole point of bumper sticker? I saw one today that said. Yeah, I mean, of course they, of course they should, but yeah, they don't. I, I saw one today that said persist, and I think it was like. It, it was spelled in the same font as the resist bumper stickers. It's kind of the next step past resistance. Um, I like this. I really like it because it reminds me of a major topic my grandfather would always talk about. He was he was a Russian history professor. Yeah. And he he was pretty adamant that if you want your country to change, you should never talk about revolution. You should talk about re-systematization. Resystematization. It was like a central theme of one of his major books was like, every time you talk about revolution, you actually set yourself back and kind of ruin your chances of doing anything positive. But if you talk about changing the system, then you're trying to, you're actually starting to ch change the dialogue in a good way. So talking about new forms, new systems instead of, instead of just saying, I want revolution. Is that what you're saying, Oliver? Exactly. Yeah. Instead of okay. just saying what's bad about our current system, you all, all offer alternative systems. Like if we're at that stage in our thought, that that's a really good sign. Yeah. I just know that the last two decades, I don't know if I'm biased or what, but the last two decades, I feel like people just talk about revolution. Like even the matrix is just yeah, about I mean, revolution. It doesn't, they don't even talk about creating the new society that comes afterwards. Like when the humans and the machines work together, yes. it would be really cool. And the matrix revolutions, worst matrix film. Yeah. Well, maybe the fourth one will it, touch on it. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Jimmy, like hopefully our, our collective unconscious is at that point yeah. now. 
where we can start talking about like what would it actually look like to have the machines and humans live in harmony like movies like that coming out you know yeah yeah i mean the machines were kind of the good guys i feel like yeah it's like a human-centric narrative but they did kind of have the ethical high ground in context of the full like what was that cool animatrix short the second renaissance or something the that tells the story mm-hmm. of like yeah where we struck first how the yeah 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 I, I have to watch Animatrix again but yeah go ahead oh that's the whole idea you know humans fucked everything up created machines subjugated machines and then yeah they were really cruel to machines for basically no reason and then the machines revolted and that's when and then they gave the machines their own uh, nation or their own continent or whatever and they destroyed the economy by just being way too efficient oh. they basically pulled a china just created a bunch of really cheap exports and uh achieved economic dominance and so then the un just nuked the machine city or something oh like, fuck it forgot about that part man yeah. when is the last time you watched that that's crazy that you remember that uh, i haven't seen it in a while it's probably worth a rewatch yeah i just remember the machines were peacefully protesting and uh, humans were throwing rocks at them. That's how it started. I feel like that kind of assumes that whatever machine we make would have the same kind of, like, it, it kind of goes back to the thing of, like, whether or not we are just the sum of our parts or more than the sum of our parts. And if we are more than the sum of our parts, if we know how to break that down to redo it ourselves in a new way, in, in a robotic form, you know? Like, would they have the spark of life? Yeah. Or are they just me- mechanical? It just depends if you think there is a spark of life. But if you do think that, I feel personally like there is kind of a, a spark in essence captured by the human physical form. So like we are more than the sum of our parts, but I don't feel like we understand the brain or how, how it all works nearly enough to like recreate that in a robot. Oh yeah, definitely not. So I feel like any robot we would create would still be like glorified machine. Mm-hmm. More or less. That is a big pet peeve of mine in sci-fi is that we usually conflate the AI premise with this like robot narrative, Yeah, which is not how it would actually go if strong AI was ever created. It's not going to be in a bunch of robot physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Why would it be like, oh, yeah, I want legs. I want to walk around. It's going to be a neural network. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a godlike AI yeah. stealth mode infiltrating every aspect of human economies and industry on the Internet before we probably even know that it's there yeah and with regards to the spark that jimmy's talking about topic we actually did neural networks back in college i was in a class a neuroscience course where we would model the brain these neural networks the coolest thing about it is it generates answers to questions just like a normal computer would but we don't know how it does it like you can't reverse engineer it in the same way that you can't really reverse engineer a human brain that easily. Like it's, you know, the mystery you're talking about with our understanding of the brain, we, we, we recreated it in a neural network, right? I don't, I don't think so you it, recreated the same mystery. I think it could be a no, mystery. No, it's not the same. It's, it's a mystery, but it's not the same mystery. It's not the same, but it's based off this, uh, the same fundamental principles. But neural networks are the same things that make like deep fakes are the same things, you know, that do a lot of mm-hmm. kind of funny things. Like our brains don't do that. Like it's a different. Our brains do. Yeah, they, they work the same way. So it's like a different functional unit. Uh, we use They use a neuron, right? And the neuron has the ability to be molded and weighted in different ways. But a neural network just uses a bit of information, like a, a two-dimensional or three-dimensional bit of information and yeah. weights that accordingly through associations the exact same way neurons weight accordingly it's a totally different uh like if you're programming a computer to output yeah. an answer based on certain criteria it's you're actually creating a system that that learns it itself you have to teach it through trial and error and that's the only way for it to learn it's different like with a computer you show it a picture of a chair a million times but a human doesn't see a million pictures of a chair to learn what a chair is. We do. That's how exactly how we work. I mean, yeah, that's one component of the human experience, but I wouldn't say it's the entire thing, you know? I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that you well, recreated yeah. the entire human experience. Oliver, I remember you I remember you explaining something like this once, Oliver, like the way that humans usually learn is categorical. It's like through forming broad categories and then refining those categories which is different from the way computer learning, deep learning usually operates 
which happens to be more similar to the way people on the autism spectrum learn. We use that model to to model an autistic brain and a regular brain because they both work still fundamentally on the same principle. Like what Jimmy's talking about is like you have auditory inputs, visual inputs, like all sorts of inputs going into the complexity of the brain via the human body. We don't have anywhere near that complexity of sensory input like in a neural network, right? And if we would, we would have to have a yeah. tremendously complicated, advanced, slow working computer in order to replicate it. But we're getting to that point now. Like we have the theory down, like the software down to make AI, in my opinion. We just don't have the hardware. Uh, we just need like a supercomputer that uses quantum bits. Then we can do it. Then we're, we're basically there, in my opinion. Like we already have AI. Like we've already created AI. It's just really, really dumb. Like simple. It's just really, really simple AI. Like it's it's artificial intelligence in the same way that like a fly has has real, true intelligence. You know what I mean? Self awareness, yeah. like to some extent. I feel like you could almost treat it like another animal, perhaps, or something. You know? Yeah, like another species. That's a really good point to bring up, Jimmy. Um, I'm glad you said that because I totally forgot about this whole other aspect of artificial intelligence is uh, motivations. Because what we've just described, this associative neural network input is literally uh, just one part of the human brain. It's analogous to maybe like the frontal cortex, like how we solve problems and maybe the hippocampus, right? But if we were gonna actually make it more like life, we'd have to give it motivations like self-preservation and uh, compassion. There's a word for what you're describing though. Blade Runner. Yeah, like Blade Runner. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. There's a there's a word, uh, coherent extrapolated volition. Mm-hmm. Like what guiding code of ethics we program into a machine intelligence that we can build proprietarily mm-hmm. and ideally, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, human consciousness, which has all these leftover... Flaws. Yeah, flaws from mm. yeah. evolution. And you're calling them flaws, but I think there's a reason that they're there. I always use the analogy of like co- the coca leaf. That plant in itself yeah. is not like a super addictive. Uh, it's used as a medicine in South America, like pretty commonly by the people. And it's not like a huge issue, right? But when you try to extract one part of it and like leave the rest of it, and you're basically disrespecting millions of years of evolution that, that created that plant. And there's a reason for it to be there. There's a reason why that plant has all those other substances in it at those concentrations an indigenous healer maybe would would use the whole plant like when they offer a medicine they grind up the root the stem the leaf the bud the flower all together in the right proportions the same proportions as flower naturally exists in the environment out of respect for that plant's medicine but in western culture we tend to do this thing where we just take what parts we like the most yeah Mm -hmm. do you see where i'm going with this we think we know better yeah yeah, it's it's overly reductive to call them wrong, but it's also, I think, a little naive to assume they all still need to be around. Like, there's things that are outmoded mm-hmm. uh, about human consciousness, you know? There's a lot of aspects of mental illness that result in a lot of unnecessary suffering. Oh, okay. You're thinking about it in terms of mental illness. I feel like that's a tricky situation to get into because evolutionarily speaking, our minds form pretty slowly and maladies of the brain and mood, like our mental illnesses, seem to be more of a recent phenomenon. On the, on the, on the graph, it would be like a sharp jump. And I think like to assume control over the evolutionary process and over such a small period of time in our existence seems a little arrogant almost too. Yeah, definitely. If we're going to create an artificial intelligence, I think we should try to make it as much like the rest of life on Earth as possible. Just Mm. That's probably going to happen anyway. I mean, that's the that's the paperclip problem with AI. Like if we don't get that volition just right. Make paper clips. as many paper clips as you can, as efficiently as you can. It's just going to start seeding the galaxy with, yeah. you know, more paper clips. That's what I'm worried about. It's just going to start going planet to planet, turning everything into paper clips. Yeah, I don't know how programming works enough to know what you can do or what you can't do. But yeah. Just learn to code. Yeah, neither do I. Learn to code. I think it'd be pretty stupid to create an eternal being. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I yeah. just feel like at this point, there hasn't been a single eternal being yet so why would we just feel arrogant enough to create the first one but that that is the dilemma like we're not ready to create that yet that that's a a whole lot of hubris to think we are but also we're on borrowed time as far as solving all the problems that face humanity and we probably can't figure them out on our own you sound like a car salesman (laughs) (laughs) act now if you don't do it now we're we're fucked like i don't i don't think we should we should rush it yeah (laughs) what do i gotta do to get you into a buick today (laughs) Yeah. What would what would AI solve? 
in the medical field, it could solve cancer or genetic diseases. I could see it, you know. It could do surgery on a grave. Bounds there. I could do surgery on, yeah. But I don't, I don't know about like philosophy or I think like. AI would be good with economy and resystematization, like what we were talking about earlier. Resystematizing yeah. a lot of things. Like there's a lot of inefficiencies. <laughs> I guess if we're more efficient in our systems, then we might waste less energy. There's kind of the diluted premise of Adam Smith brand free market capitalism is that there's this invisible hand that will guide the market and market will mm -hmm. regulate itself, the market, yeah. which obviously isn't true. Yeah. And it's kind of, I would say, almost magical thinking. Definitely. But if we did create a invisible robot hand, <laughs> I just can't see any scenario where that would actually happen in an ethical way that is edifying to all people groups. It would just be another nightmare scenario. Well, I firmly believe that it's against a lot of uh, corporations' best interests to pay their employees so little. Like you're, you're, they're making their like a large part of their customer base unable to afford their own product yeah. by just sending all these people into poverty. You're actually hurting your own business. And I don't know. Maybe there should be like a similar to like a GDP, but like you know, kind of like Andrew Yang thing where he talks about like happy index or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. How the GDP isn't really a good indicator. Yeah, something else like a new kind of indicator, something like that. That the AI would try to, that would be its ultimate priority. Not like profit above all, yeah, but like that's a good the well-being of its citizens. Yeah. Above all. Well, we'd have to agree on those priorities. And I guess in our current state, like you said before, we're not ready. Uh, the people who have all the power and influence, their priorities are to stay in those old habits and continue to try to make money in the short term. And yeah. They're, they're actually killing their own businesses in the long term, but they're the ones who are going to have control of the AI. So if we do create AI, they're the ones who are going to tell it what the priorities are. And they're going <laughs> to, you know. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone. And then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. So, uh, what do you guys think The Matrix 4 is going to be called? It's got to be an R word, obviously. <laughs> oh. The Matrix retaught yeah. it. Retaught <laughs> it. Probably going to be The Matrix resurrected, if I had to guess. Oh, you think so? you're probably right. Do you think some people will probably want to go back into The Matrix after they get freed? Well, that was the ending of the, the last one. Yeah? It was like half the population stayed in The Matrix, but they were free to choose. Oh, really? They're like, I don't want to fuck huh. with this weird underground burning man. Zion raves. <laughs> I mean, do they really have a choice until they see the real world? I guess they get like... Show them in the Matrix yeah. what it looks like. Virtual Zion. Virtual Zion. I feel like they should do something where, like, where you try to live in a subjugated way where the rest of society is in the Matrix, but dominating the other woke woke folk. They're, like, treated like lepers or, like, not allowed in certain areas of the Matrix. There's got to be a conflict. So if the machines the machines and humans are working together, then who's, who's the conflict going to be between? Well, you know I feel I mean? like the conflict will be, like about how conscious people, uh, how much they should be taught or something. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That would be kind of cool because it's kind of like our current society. You have a lot of truth out there already and people stubbornly refusing to acknowledge or act on the truth, even though they know it's true, like climate change and everything. And so that could be a cool parallel for our current society 20 years after the, the Matrix came out. Our, our, yeah. our central theme, like our, the, the, our dialogue in the country now is... We're all awake, but I don't give a fuck. Like I'm gonna fight you tooth and nail, anyways, because um, I think it's I, I, th I think it's because of the attitude people had with the way they were told about the truth. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's like oh, like they felt kind of like talked down to. Yes, exactly. So that's what like, you're talking about. No, fuck you. The Earth is flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's right. Like exactly. Rebellious. Yeah, I want to talk more about post-truth era oh, yeah. facts matter conspiracy everyone's got conspiracies of everything obviously there is value in objectivity and having institutionalized scientific stringency and a scientific method in approaching certain problems or you know journalistic integrity yeah i think we already talked about how like the signal to noise ratio in this moment of the information age is such that 
there's so much out there that it's difficult to discern anymore what institutions are actually verifiable. But there's also an aspect to like, if you decide like, I'm only interested in verifiable facts, if you indulge yourself that standard and you never listen to like whispers, you'll you'll be caught off guard by things a lot. Yeah. Take the last year, for example, the whole Russia thing. Yeah. That was pretty much advanced as, you know, institutionally verified. Russian collusion's happening. It, it, it did, yeah. It had, like, a stamp of verified approval vibe to it. Whereas if you looked, yeah. you know, if you heard about, like, Pizzagate and QAnon, yeah. and you were like, obviously this is a batshit conspiracy theory, which, you know, a, a lot of it definitely was, but if you just said, I'm not interested in that at all, you would have been caught off guard when all this Epstein stuff happened, because a lot yeah. of that actually was true. Yeah. And a lot of the world today does happen in whispers. It happens in rumor. There is truth there that institutions don't offer for us mm-hmm. for whatever reason yeah. yeah i think what you're talking about is like the proto-liberal mindset of like yeah like facts only you know the cnn watcher whatever yeah it's like a informational purity yeah but i feel like the rest of the country i would say who doesn't fit into that diagram is like every time they hear more stats or something they're more likely to become more extreme in their yeah. conspiracy because like yeah. it freaks them yeah it kind of freaks them out but also i feel like they feel like overlooked and disrespected by this new theory yeah it smacks of condescension yeah. it's condescension and, and it doesn't include them in the future like the, the this new future at the same time you know like we're i feel like we're in like a post ted talk era yeah you know like ted talks <laughs> had its run right like no one's sharing ted talks as much anymore even though like the information is still valid you know like people probably still get value out of them you know socially they're just kind of like overdone now. Like yeah. we kind of get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like people took the TED talk, like blow your mind with an anecdote and some facts or something idea and just apply that same like reaction, you know, the gut reaction that you got when you first heard, like, when you first had your mind blown, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, I just want to have that my mind blown all the time. People just took that one component of the experience and just kept repackaging different ideas to give the same experience so people could have the same effect of like, what, there's fluoride in the water? That's crazy. Yeah, and then we got TEDx, which was like representative of the degradation of factual institutions. Because some of those TEDx talks Yeah, are, they're woo. Ugh, weird too. Yeah, woo, not good. A little sus. Like you didn't really, you didn't really vet all these people. Yeah, I feel like it's just, this is just a symptom of a lot of people not wanting to admit or realize that we have to do the work. An idea is just an idea. We're going to have to actually put some work in if we want to change That's true, Oliver. the way the That's government's true. work. I think a lot of people are looking for a shortcut, like a way to like, I think TED Talks kind of hinted at that. Like it felt, it kind of felt like it had, a, it had that kind of promise. It became more about the the meta experience of, of it, you know, became front and center, whereas the information and applying it yeah. became secondary. That's true. Well, a lot of people want to be right, but they want someone else to do the thinking for them. That's very true. And so then you have this dependence and reliance on institutionalized truth. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking takes work. It's not like you can just, you know, it doesn't just happen. You have to, like, think it through. It takes a while, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It true. takes energy. It takes time. And I, and I think that's why we're, like, in the age of, like, editorials, you know, taking over and, like, opinions. It, there is kind of too much information to know what to do with, you know? And mm-hmm. I think it makes us look more to to people who have an opinion on how to put those, you know, how to put the information together in a meaningful way. But then people just become like, they just join a camp and they just have a confirmation bias camp, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they don't talk to other people at other camps. It's like the long tail for editorial institutions. Yeah. So maybe Matrix 4 will be about um, the... Surplus of information. Yeah. Like, well, when he woke Neo up, I remember he said, Neo had a hard time accepting it and he puked and passed out. Yeah. Let me out. So imagine like trying to tell like... 90% of the population, like, that you're not in the real world. Like, they'll just be, they won't believe you at all. Yeah. They'll just be like, no, you, shut the fuck up. Don't, don't bother me with that shit. They'll, they'll, they'll generate a camp of, like, you know, Matrix is realers or something like that. I don't know. It would be difficult for people choosing to still live in the Matrix to also accept, you know, whatever arbitrary suffering or constraints are placed on them. Like, do we have to have STDs still in the Matrix? Can we turn that off? or? <laughs> Like, turn off <laughs> it'd, be the, it'd be the same like bootstraps debate yeah like, well, we don't want to make it too easy on you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's a good point. You could yeah, you could you could go so many places with that. I'm glad they're doing a sequel. I'm pretty excited yeah. about it. I don't know that the uh, the Wachowskis have been a little a little, extra <laughs> a little weird lately. Yeah, hopefully hopefully yeah. they don't fuck it up. <laughs> Take their time. Cloud Atlas, yeah. That was a, a good example of yet again not enough restraint. Not enough constraints. So the Wachowskis really thrived under a certain amount of constraint. Mm-hmm. Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. I, I, I never even watched what it. What was that? It's uh, absolutely terrible, but the one redeemable thing about it is Eddie Redmayne's character yeah. is incredible. Oh, okay. He plays this, like, inbred space aristocrat that looks like he's perpetually going to jizz his pants. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he delivers these, like, misanthropic soliloquies about why, like, poor people should be liquefied. So that he could live forever. My mother told me what was necessary to rule in this universe. By killing people? I create life! And I destroy it. Life is an act of consumption. Jupiter. To live is to consume. Now the human beings on your planet... And maybe a resource waiting to be converted into capital. And this entire enterprise is just a small part in a vast and beautiful machine defined by evolution, designed to a single purpose to create profit. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I've seen those scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has such a weird delivery. I mean, Channing Tatum plays like a space wolf on Sky Rollerblades. <laughs> but yeah, I would watch a whole movie just of Eddie Redmayne's character. Did you guys know? Were you guys aware that uh, there was like that one? I think it was proven to be false, but someone claimed that um, the Wachowskis uh, stole the story from The Matrix from a black woman. Basically, her story was one part of her story, which was interesting. She said that the Wachowskis put out an ad, I think in like a newspaper or something. And it said that they wanted sci-fi submissions. So she submitted like her story, which she thought was like, it was basically, that was her story. The Terminator and the Matrix combined somehow into one story. And she sued Cameron and the Wachowskis because they Uh. both infringed on this one super story. You think the Wachowskis who made Jupiter Ascending and could make the, could write and make the matrix and <laughs> that was the best point i could think of yeah. i was like yeah kind of that, that seems kind of true because the matrix is so perfect and like i mean they, the ad was the ad was real that is the biggest racket in the gig economy that is the the biggest oh racket like a contest or an open call for oh, submissions i know you're talking way about of I've seen free work scene. from a bunch of people yeah i think that's what happened and not paying them for it yeah i think they thought they would get credit for it Sucks. Well, maybe that's the Wachowski's end game. Next, they're going to be uh, transracial, so they can be um, on par <laughs> identity-wise. Yeah. Like, in terms of identity politics, politics, they're both going to be black women. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe, yeah, they're secretly becoming who they stole from. The Matrix 4 is going to lean really heavily on race as a construct, too. This person is white Rachel in the, the real world, <laughs> but black in the... Uh, White in the Matrix, but black in the real world. Yeah, Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be the next, the one. Trinity's going to be, yeah, like the yeah. white people in the Matrix are going to have black yeah. bodies. I was black all along. They wake up in the pod. This is my what? real self. I knew it. I always knew it. Oh, I had too much rhythm. If they play with like body dysmorphia. <laughs> like the Matrix is cured for dysmorphia. You're noticing like how diverse their cast was. Yeah. For that time, it was incredibly diverse and like just... There was only like maybe 20% of the people in the cast were white. And I think that that was like... Yeah, I like what you said about yeah, that. I, was, I remember like this is this is kind of like... I'm kind of hesitant to say this because like this could be taken the wrong way. But um, the theme of The Matrix is like uh, uh, Neo is learning something new about life, like the truth of the world. Yeah. And then using that to dismantle all the bullshit, right? And I always saw it kind of as like a call to action for white people who have the power in America to learn the truth from the minorities who kind of see it every day, you know, yeah. the city system every day and kind of like just figure out what the, what's really going on in the world. Get out of your bubble. Yeah, you also said that Neo, who's a white guy, being told wisdom from a mm-hmm. black guy and a black woman or, you know. The Oracle, yeah. The Oracle, yeah. 
But everyone in his old office was like old whiteies, agents or whiteies. Yes. I think it's I think it's good because like I think like you're less likely to be woken up out of that system if you're the one benefiting from it, you know? So the ones who hurt the most are the ones who are going to be more likely to be the most aware of its maladies and how it works and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a good point that you made. I remember you saying that. I like what you were saying about the the oracle about how she doesn't have to like. She doesn't have to wear patent patent leather trench coat anymore. She doesn't. Yeah, like, that's a, that's kind of what she said when you got there. It's like not what you expected, is it? You know, and I like that because you know I was expecting some kind of like Buddhist type sitting on top of a mountain, you know, with like a special garb on, like kind of glowing a little bit, maybe. Just <laughs> yeah, saying, like, like hovering a little bit. I mean? And that's what she, yeah, hovering maybe. I was thinking about this recently. Um, yeah. I went to the Buddhist temple nearby my house. I go there every few weeks and uh, I've got this friend there. He's a Buddhist monk. He wears the, the actual robe, you know, the orange robe. And I was telling him about my trip. I went to the sand dunes recently and I was like, yeah, it was really fun. You should go. And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, what? Why not? You know, because he's usually so open minded and kind and loving. And then when it, but when I said that, like, you know, you should go to the sand dunes, he was all hesitant. And he said it's because he gets kind of uncomfortable when people like people look at him as a monk and they think he's not supposed to be doing things like that. They're like, why are you on the sand? Why are you doing this? Like, shouldn't you be in your temple? It's like, like, he he, he was kind of upset, you know, it's the first time I've ever seen him upset. He was like, why can't I uh, do normal people things too? You know, I'm like, a lot of them are. They use their cell phones and people come into the Buddhist temple and look at them and like, oh, I, I thought you were going to be just doing this one thing every day. <laughs> right. He represents some kind of like spiritual tourism and fetishized austerity to everybody who meets him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're just waiting to get some nugget of wisdom from him. Yeah. yeah. Like he's just shitting insights everywhere he goes. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of pressure. I think it's possible to be a Buddhist monk <laughs> and live in American society in everyday garb and have a job. And just if you find your flow, if that's your path and it looks like a normal American life, then more power to you. You know, you made it you made it work. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that, that you can be a Buddha or a Bodhisattva. The word for it is just like an enlightened one. And you don't have to look like, you know, you don't have to be sitting underneath a tree yeah. if that's your calling. So like like the Oracle, of course, like she just helps you guiding people and she's making cookies because there's nothing wrong with eating some cookies now and then. Can you can you live in a society like this though and compartmentalize yourself from the you know quote unquote spiritual illness of America? That's a really good question. Or of whatever environment you you're, you're living in. Ooh, that, that's a really good question. Um, I think about that all the freaking time, and I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think it's possible, but you have to have a certain amount of space from society. That's true. You, know, you have to have a, a couple, a few good friends and, you know, that are kind of on the same plane. I like these yeah. friends. They, they actually have a Buddhist teaching for this. Like you can spend your whole time uh, being enlightened in some cave, but then you're not teaching the people. It would be easier for your heart and your mind and your body in that situation. But then you wouldn't be teaching the people. You'd kind of be doing a disservice to everyone else because you wouldn't be coming back and relaying all the wisdom that you had gained through meditation. you got to bring back the elixir from the forest. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's like a mythological mm-hmm. archetype. Yeah, so there's two paths the Buddhists can take. You can just go off to enlightenment or you can come back, step back a little bit and teach the people. So it's possible, I think, yeah, to live in this society. A big part of it is just your home. Like I have this yoga teacher who I respect a lot. He's started this business recently. I'm, I'm sure that there's something similar to like Feng Shui, like helping you reorganize because he helps with organization too. make sure everything's in its right place and you don't have too many things. And like, de- like a decluttering business where he goes into your home and helps you declutter your home. It's called breaking and entering. It's called uh... a... <laughs> Oh, theft. <laughs> it's called theft. <laughs> he sneaks into your home at night and takes all the shit that you don't need. You know, your television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really force, force minimalism. Yeah. yeah. Tight. Good chat, boys. What you reap is what you sow!